Welcome to the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. In my many years as an animator and director, my most defining projects have been my short film, Layers, along with Vanishing Ink and Cirque de Solitude, two books which I wrote, illustrated, and pitched at several studios as feature films. And I have more of these feature film pitches coming soon. Today, my guest is the wonderful Pablo Smith. Uh, Pablo, I've been going to the Cartoon Talent Networking Expo for 10 years. It would have been 11 this year, but we had to do it all online. And the first person I met at the first expo I went to was Pablo Smith. <laughs> uh, I was I was still studying animation, working to get into CG animation. He was already a really accomplished 2D animator, very skilled and very impressive. Actually, our buddy Chris Oatley, who is a Disney character designer and very prominent online, he came up and, and said that he was going to start the Pablo Smith fan club. <laughs> and once I, I saw Pablo's work, I, I started to see why. He was very skilled. Uh, I think it was you went to work at Duncan Studios right after that with Ken Duncan, the, the legendary Disney animator who has his own company. You've worked in CG and 2D. You've worked for Nickelodeon for several years, and now you are the co-director of animation for the new series SpongeBob Camp Corral. And, oh, and it, most important to me is your, your project that you created and kickstarted, which was Prepper Farms. And that was a, a delightful little, little, uh, it was a very funny, very zany cartoon that you were you're trying to get off the ground. Now that didn't fund, right, on Kickstarter? Right. Yeah, we didn't we didn't hit the goal there. But you kept going, and that's what's important. You know, I worked I worked for a couple of years for a Kickstarting crowdfunding agency, and I was supposed to be an expert on on Kickstarting. And film was the the hardest that I saw, the yeah. hardest to to crowdfund. More recently, I've seen with uh, with the Harmon Brothers or VidAngel, I guess is what they're called. Uh, Dan Harmon, he crowdfunded the Tuttle Twins and it raised about a million dollars, I think. So they're the biggest crowdfunding of a, a cartoon series of all time. And we're going to have him on the show in a couple months. But um, they, they're like these masters of marketing. You know, <laughs> that's how they were able to do it. And so, you know, talented people like, like you, Pablo, uh, you know, you can look at the, the project and think this is really, really great. And still you don't get the traction. And, and I, I think it was awesome that you kept going. You kept producing the content, which is what I've had to do. My own layers Kickstarter didn't fund. My other, my books did, but the film didn't fund. You know, I had to find a grant somewhere else and money for my own business to try to finish that. So talk, talk a little bit more about that, about your Prepper Farms project and, and how that was. Uh, well, that kind of came in, that kind of started. I had a, I had a dream when I, uh, one, one night about this little, uh, this little, chicken character, this little chick character who saw saw a farmer take his egg, uh take take an egg from his mom's um nest and uh oh. he thought he was his like little brother was being kidnapped and so he went in to the farmer's house and like this was all animated in my dream and he took uh he kept he took the egg and the farmer kept looking for the egg and and the guy kept hiding it, uh the little <laughs> chicken kept hiding it. And then I woke up and uh I told my wife about it and she was like, that's really stupid. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd, I'd just go ahead and try to put it together. Um, yeah. Together in like a little pitch Bible and uh, pitched it to Nickelodeon. Uh, and they, they called me, they called me up and said, Hey, we, we're not going to pick this up, but it's such a good, it's such a good premise. Like the characters are wonderful. The relationships are great. Like just because we're not picking it up, it doesn't mean it's not good. Like, uh, yeah. 
Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know you pitched it to Nickelodeon. And that makes sense. You were working there. So <laughs> yeah. 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 So it was kind of like a boost. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll just I'll just keep it up. I'll like take it and uh keep going with it, even though mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't picked up by Nick. And uh so I started putting together the Kickstarter. As you said, like I, I wasn't I never even I mean I've seen Kickstarters, but I never researched anything on how to do it. And so that this guy contacted me afterwards and said, like, you know, you you're your show idea, everything was great, but like he got, he said, you kind of, you did it kind of like most people do it, like who don't know anything about it, uh, which is who like, don't, don't know anything about Kickstarter. Or? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, you should have started putting stuff out two or three months before the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. It's free stuff. content. And yeah. Yeah. And I, I just did it like the day before, <laughs> like I just started up, but uh, he, yeah. yeah, he told me like, you know, keep going. So I actually did keep going. Um, but then when I started who, up, with, who was the person that told you that? Was that me? Because I know you emailed yeah. emailed me about it. Yeah, no, no, it was somebody else. Uh, I think his name was. Uh, I'll have to. I'll have to. Was remember. it Lorenzo Etherington, or was it one of those no. guys? The no, no. you draw guys. Because they're no, the most successful artists I've ever seen on there. Oh, really? It's because he releases all of his content for free. The How to Think When You Draw tutorials, and they're all online for free, already. Right. And so he already has this big audience and then he's like, Hey, do you want it all compiled in a book? Here's a high quality book. And you know, I bought all three so far, <laughs> three years yeah. in a row. We'll see what yeah. he does this year. If he has fourth, <laughs> but they're fantastic books. Yeah. But yeah, the, the thing about Kickstarter that's interesting is you either have to have this enormous audience like Matthew Cherry with hair love that Sony picked up. He was already, he already had this big audience cause he was an, He's a former football player, I believe, for the NFL. And he, he'd been building this audience over time, made several films. Like he had all this groundwork laid and then he launched his, his thing. And you're competing with that or you're competing with products on Kickstarter. So you have uh, a lot of the traffic on Kickstarter is taken up by people who launched a product. And then they even have marketing budget. Like people, they're sending lots and lots of traffic to Kickstarter to that specific page. So you're, you're competing with a lot of sophisticated marketers now on Kickstarter. With yeah. the beginning, it was easier to just throw up a project and it would fund. I know that Jason Brubaker was one of the first, but he already had a big audience. And so, yeah, yeah. it was, it's, it's an interesting zone to play in. Yeah. I, I kept, uh, I kept going with it, but once I got, once I got picked up on, started working on Camp Coral, I had to like, you know, <laughs> I had to put things aside for a little bit because uh, this, this show has been uh, taken up quite a bit of time. So a lot uh, of energy. <laughs> still- yeah, still working on it, but um, well, at one point you were directing all your own on your own, right? Yeah, uh, for because there was Farm. a point where you didn't have a co-director. Uh, you reached out oh, to me. Oh. You reached out to other people about yeah, interviewing yeah. for that. Yeah, there was yeah a lot of a lot of moving parts there, but yeah, it was uh, it was a little yeah quite a bit of work there for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Those, but not uh, not 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 as bad anymore. But yeah. Well, and yeah. pain is a good teacher for a, for a couple months a, an experience like that can be, can be really beneficial. So. Yeah. 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 It was, I mean, uh, as hard as it was, like it was, uh, really, really. And as hard as it still is, it's still, it's really good. And I would never, it's, uh, it's one of those jobs where like, it's the reason why I got into animation, you know, the, when I was younger and I'd watch shows and I'd say like, Oh, I would really like, that's what I want to do. This is what I want to be a part of. This is one of those shows. So I'm really glad to be a yeah. part of it. And I'm really happy to to get to work with all these uh, crazy creative people. Yeah. That, 
yeah, just make me a better artist. And, you know, I learned so much from them. So yeah, it's been really yeah. fun. Yeah. It seemed, it seemed wonderful when I got to interview with you guys, it was really a very, you know, good friends. It seemed like you guys were good friends and, yeah. um, but you also have a lot, a lot of work, you have a lot of knowledge that, uh, that you had between the three of you that I met and, you know, the, the co-director they hired, Joe Mandia, he, he's extremely talented as well. So it's, yeah. it's really inspiring to, to be able to learn more about what you do there and, and also um, to hear more about Prepper Farms. I, I really loved the episode where you just did it in all storyboards where um, I think they, they're eating on a plate and the mom's like, the last person to touch it has to wash it. Yeah. And then it just goes wild from there. You know, it, it was really a lot of fun. And actually, I, I don't know what you think of the suggestion, but, you know, as, as great as final animation is, I wonder if that's how you could build an audience for that project is to just keep doing those storyboarded segments. Oh, and, maybe. yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the series Batman, Piderman. I, um, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very independent project. And you first, you start watching the first couple of them. You're like, uh, like my wife thought it was dumb. You know, I, I didn't, I was like, this is kind of interesting. You know, I knew it was offbeat, you know, but over time, like it just becomes the funniest thing. And my kids absolutely loved it. And it's very, very rough, gritty, low quality animation. And the animation kind of goes up over the series, but they still kind of, stuck to that campy style yeah. where the the characters are constantly jittering and like it's actually the style of batman piderman and <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's a really fun project oh, so yeah. yeah and i think that's because your idea is so good i think showing the idea originally and then seeing later if you could fund the actual animation could be really fun yeah yeah the, i might it could grow an yeah. audience my kids watch, uh, they love, what's it called? The Odd Ones Out <clears throat> on YouTube, which okay. is just, it's like, uh, it's pretty much these still drawings. And yeah. the guy talks over and tells a story. Right. But the drawings are very simple. And I think he's even got like a book out or something like that now. But uh -huh. yeah, it, it's just, uh, yeah, the way you, it's all about the story, it seems like, you know, as long as it's funny, it really or, is. Then the medium doesn't really seem to to matter to the kids as long as they find it entertaining. Right, absolutely. So let's talk about your directing process. Now, obviously, we can't talk about the details of Camp Coral. It it hasn't even come out yet. Like we have one image, I think, that's that's been released online. So we really can't talk about the details of it. But right. I would really like to hear about your process as a director, kind of what your day to day looks like, and and then we'll kind of go into a few other things after that. Okay. Well, I guess the process all starts with the uh, creator's vision. You know, the I, I had to like uh, really find out and align myself with, I had to watch a lot of SpongeBob, which uh, we already did, but this time I had to watch it like with a completely new... Yes. Um, a new set of eyes, right? New set right. of glasses. Yeah. And uh, we watched a whole bunch of it and still do. And uh, just to see, <laughs> just to get familiar with that world. And then it's, uh, we tried to make it so everything still feels and looks like the SpongeBob world. Um, I I thought I knew how to draw SpongeBob before I started, but uh, drawing SpongeBob and all the characters were uh, is, is a really important step. Uh, so I'm the animation director. So I direct the animation. Then there's like storyboard directors and mm -hmm. you know, the overall show director, uh, creators, runners. I kind of immerse myself in how to, how to make the animation look like SpongeBob animation and uh, make it as high quality as possible and stuff like that. Uh, learning how to draw him has been 
I would say the most crucial uh, part of directing for SpongeBob. It's been uh, the, I think the thing that either like it either looks like SpongeBob or it looks like a SpongeBob knockoff. Yeah. So I'll get um, some animation from the overseas studio that we're using and uh, I'll just kind of go over and just do a lot of drawing over the CG animation. And even though it's CG, uh, I still feel it's more of a 2D show. Uh, the medium is CG, but we're still trying to make it as uh, 2D as possible. Well, and it's fascinating in the interview when you you talked about uh, one of the things I thought was most interesting that you said when you guys were interviewing me for the possibility is that you got to draw SpongeBob so precisely because they'll take that as gospel. That studio will go and they will match SpongeBob the way you drew it. And yeah, uh, yeah. So it's it, that's actually really cool that like your drawings are are a big part of the final process. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like you were talking about storyboards, like every board artist, I mean, for boards, I, I, I'm not a storyboard artist. I, I have done storyboards in the past, but like mm -hmm. uh, not for a show, especially not for a show like SpongeBob, but uh, everyone uh, has a different style. If uh, the animators who are asked to stick to the boards know exactly what the boards look like, and for some reason the board artist, whether it was like quick, rough drawing or whatever it was, didn't match it. We need to kind of go through and make sure, you know, if SpongeBob's nose isn't exactly where it should be, it starts to look like a completely different character. And just, you know, in CG, you have the ability to show the character from all angles, uh, like a complete 360. And uh, that's just not what you do in SpongeBob, right? Uh, right. So, so uh, trying to trying to put on limits in some areas while while pushing it in other areas, it's it's really important to know again what uh, what the what the creators are looking for. Yeah, when you also talked about how the sto the storyboard artists like they sometimes try to make SpongeBob look not, not like SpongeBob, right? So they try to do these really interesting poses that are really pushed. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they'll yeah. do like super cartoony cartoony takes. Where in that in that case, yeah, we. We want to look exactly like like it was drawn, right? On the uh, board, yeah. Right, because then it's uh, that's that's the fun of SpongeBob. I mean, I, I think yeah. one of my favorite one of my favorite things about SpongeBob is uh, he kind of just like you can always tell what he's feeling just by looking at him, right? Like he kind of right. you animate his feelings, uh, which is what you do for everybody. But like for SpongeBob, like you you kind of go overboard with it. Like if he's scared, you can tell exactly because of the way he looks. Uh, yeah. That extremely scared um well and if we're comparing it to a character like pocahontas right where pocahontas had to be very precise and you know she couldn't really diverge from a certain range of emotions right where spongebob you're doing just the opposite where if you want to show an uh, i mean a sponge you can squish it you can squash it you can rip it to pieces you know you can do all kinds of stuff with a sponge that you couldn't do with a pocahontas so yeah yeah, I, I think that's really inspiring. And I'm glad that SpongeBob does that. That's that's the fun of the show, I think, is tech, looking to see what they're going to do next. You know, what, what, what kind of crazy thing is SpongeBob going to turn into? Yeah. Actually, Even actually, if for a few seconds. What? No, actually, after um, after working with the crew for a while, I thought about, uh, like, what can I do? Like, going back to Prepper Farms and revamping, revamping it a little to make it a little more, like, to push it a little more. I, I guess I felt like I was a little reserved with prepper with prepper farms with like the the crazy wacky uh yeah. aspect because uh, you know like uh i can't remember who said it, like if it shouldn't be uh, it was disney and the illusions on life like when you're choosing what to animate like 
don't animate something that can be done in live action, right? Like there, there mm-hmm. should be a reason why you're doing it in, in animation. And uh, I mean, it's like, oh yeah, well, it's a chicken that talks, but like, but you have to push it more, you know, what I like about SpongeBob is they push it a lot farther than, than a lot of other shows. A lot of other shows I think right now is, uh, not that it's bad, but it's just like the the style. They have like a stylized character and kind of stick to that style. But with SpongeBob, he kind of you never know what he's doing. And some of the a lot of the a lot of the meetings, we just end up laughing and uh, at uh, how far how far everything's being pushed. And so it's it's really great to work on a show where we can push it pretty far. Uh, it's it's just really fun to be an artist uh, on on a show like that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there those kinds of shows are, are rare, I think, especially as as time goes on. Where um, I think in the animation we get uh, we get in these modes where we think, okay, that thing was successful, so we need to make everything look kind of like that thing. It's nice when things like this, or or even the Batman Spider Man. I do recommend watching that, by the way, because just because of how inventive they are with how they do some things. It's it's fun to see things like that emerge. That it's like, oh, here's something I haven't ever seen before. Absolutely. So yeah, your process you know, is a oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. And I was going to say, I went, I went into the show, uh, not, not exactly sure what to expect. I've seen, I've seen a lot of CG shows on TV, which I'm not trying to bash them or anything like that, you know? Um, no, no, but, they, they all have their own merit. Yeah. I, I, I guess, you know, a lot of it is very, uh, I just, I just thought like, you know, very like kind of talking faces uh, is, mm-hmm. you know, they hit a pose and then, and they do the, the mouth animation and then they hit a pose and do the mouth animation where you this show is not that. So it's, uh, it's been, you know, it's, it's really fun. And I think, I think people will really like it when, when they see it. I think so. I do think so. Well, you said that this one compared to the, the feature films that they made, that it has much more of like the original creator's hands in it. And there's certain things they're trying to do with this that make it more authentically SpongeBob than maybe the feature films did. I, uh, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen all the films. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, and I'm not sure how much the, I know Steven Hillenburg was involved with like the first film for sure. And I, I think the second film, uh, I, I have, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure about that, but um, I, I think like so much of it, uh, see, I'm, not, I'm trying to think of here. I don't want to say anything I'm not supposed to be saying here. Right. I know. <laughs> That's hard. We can go on to a different subject if you need yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, I, I don't want to say anything that, that is, incorrect because maybe i just don't have mm-hmm. the yet so okay that's fine that's fine and and we on this show we really want to talk more about directing animation like the skill of it the nitty-gritty of it how and actually this is going to be my next question is how do we motivate people how do we direct people in a way that is the most constructive we've all worked under somebody hopefully hopefully we've all had this experience where we worked under somebody, it's just so hard to work for that person because of the way the direct direction comes or it's really harsh or, you know, and, and artists do kind of have to develop this thick skin where we get to the point where we're not only like, resi- we're okay if we receive feedback, but we crave it. Like that's kind of where we want to get as an artist. How do you get your artists to that point where they're craving your feedback, enjoying your feedback, where they feel like they're growing from your feedback? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to be. Like, <laughs> um, I, well, at this point, I don't know if you're craving my feedback. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that would be the ideal, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, the the artists, the animators, the studio that we're working with, uh, they're super talented. Uh, the mm-hmm. the animators are really talented. They 
they've really put a lot in. Like I said, again, when, when you see the show, it's going to be, I think it's going to blow people away about how, how good it looks. Yeah. Uh, animation wise and every wise, but uh, with the animation, especially uh, because we've been pushing them so much. What I think one of the payoffs is just seeing the, uh, well, so I guess there's a bunch of different answers to your question there. Uh, one of the payoffs is seeing the end result of, of the pushing, right? You, yeah. you, you see it, you see it polished, you see it in CG, you see it rendered and lit. And then with all the effects on it and you're like, wow, that was, that looks amazing. That's great. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we pushed it that far, right? Because I, I think everybody, as an artist, as an animator, like uh, I know that a lot of people get a scene, like they're dying to get a scene, and then they get a scene, and then for some reason they're dying to be done with the scene. I know, um, yeah, yeah. And and uh, in in that situation, because I guess you see other scenes that you want to try or you want to jump onto, it's really good to to just practice uh, sticking to it, like hitting hitting the the vision the director's vision and so sometimes you know when i when i was in college and i would look up a lot of the the old traditional disney animators i wanted to be a traditional animator for disney working on the 2d feature films um and i read a lot about their creative processes and how uh i think it was andreas deja uh he said like he he listened to the audio uh for the the clip that he was going to animate he listened to it like several times jot down a few sketches of what he wanted it to look like. Then he'd get up and walk around, uh, go get a cup of coffee or something like that. Um, take a break, yeah. Take a break, like not try to just jump right into it, kind of just like allow it to to move. And so I think I think in animation, it's hard as a business, right? Because it's creative, but it's also a business. So yes. you, you want to stay creative, but you also have to hit the deadline. You have to hit quotas um, and yeah. Yeah, so I I think uh, for myself, I think trying to get the animators to see uh, to see the final the final vision of it, and like you hear the the rule one shot one thought. Uh, you don't want to uh-huh. cram you don't want to cram all these subplots into one shot because the shot is just part of a, a whole show. Uh, trying to trying to keep it simple, uh, trying to simplify it, and sometimes uh, you know you do get ideas that you'd like to add into a shot as an animator, and oh, I'll try yeah. this, and it's hard to like, uh, you know, this is this might be a bit too much. It's, it's a it's great too- idea, it's creative, but it just doesn't fit. It's not the right fit. Yeah, right. Yeah. So in that situation, you can always keep that version for your reel if you want, you know. But, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but then- I love I love that that way of thinking. I've had to do that too. I've been like, oh, this is the real version, and then this <laughs> is the show version, but. Well, and- Honestly, like the show version, once you have distance from it, the show vision actually is better in a lot of my my experiences. And actually on your point, I like I really liked your point about how we all get those shots that we were dying to get the shot and then we're dying to get rid of it. And you reminded me of a lot of the animators I've worked with. You know, we, we've seen a wide variety of animators going on and I won't name any names because um, this might sound a little negative, but I think it's, there's a lesson to be learned from it. And that is that I've noticed that the people who complain the most about that process. Like they get that those notes from the director and they're like, oh man, I got another note from the director and this and this and that, and I don't know about it. You know, It seems like those people actually struggle with that problem more where I've noticed animators who take this approach of, okay, I've received a note and I'm going to say, yes, this note might hurt a little bit, but it's gonna make me better. It's going to make the show better. It's going to be, you know, if you can take that and make it a positive, each time I think that, uh, and, and I think as a director, I as, as you were talking, I thought, well, we can do that as directors. We can say, you know, this is going to maybe hurt a little bit because I know you've done this shot like 
five times, you know? At the same time, I know it's gonna make you better. It's gonna really help you as an artist to see how you could push things way further than you ever realized. And then you give the note or whatever. Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I think um, I think letting people know up front uh, that this is, you know, this is a particular particularly challenging shot. You know, I the importance of the importance of this one shot in the middle of all these other shots. Uh, yeah, sometimes for certain for certain shots before you know, as we ship out an animatic, I'll go through and put down, hey, this for this shot, pay close attention to this pose or this expression or whatever it is. And the the importance of something as simple as staying on model also at some point like it starts to detract from from what you're watching like it's no longer about like the story it's about like hey how come it doesn't look like the character anymore uh so yeah. you want to uh you don't you don't want the character you don't want the you don't want the audience to like their thoughts to wander away from the story right you want them to stay focused on what the story you're telling so anything that distracts yeah. That you kind of want to try to eliminate uh and yeah i mean if uh, we're you know we're dealing with people right and so yeah we, yeah you want to crush crush them uh <laughs> we want them to make sure that you know they are hitting if you're doing your personal project like prepper farms do whatever the heck you want right yeah. but but if you're being hired to work on someone else's vision you you really got to understand the importance of hitting that vision for that yeah. person uh, and, and not in a rigid way. I think that's another one of the tricks. As you were talking, you know, I, I thought about if you think just on model, on model, on model, on model, on model, and that's all you thought about, you could actually lose a lot in the performance too. You could have a very stiff and not dynamic performance. So there's another right. extreme that it could become a problem. Yeah. And I, how do you, how do you mitigate that? I, I'd be uh, yeah, I'd to hear your response. <laughs> I feel in CG, uh, one of the, and, and I had this, I tried CG three times before I actually stuck with it. Yeah. One, Cause you were more a 2D guy, right? You started in 2D. Yeah. Or I'm opposite. I started CG and then I've done a lot of 2D. So. Yeah. I feel like one of the issues I had was, and, and that I see a lot in a lot of new animators, uh, CG animators is, uh, because, because you have a rig, yeah. because you have a model, it just, I feel like some some animators, uh, including myself, when I started, uh, are are lazy in like because there's already including me too. Yeah, <laughs> there's already a nose and eyes and shoulders and and stuff like they they want to get to the the talking or the the dancing or whatever it is, but they don't they don't use like all the controls to to hit like a a beautiful line of action or anything like that, right? So if you were to take a, a CG pose and draw it and present that as a drawing yeah. if the drawing isn't good right <laughs> or appealing yeah. uh then then that, that would say that pose is not uh good or appealing and i think you know like you were saying there's sometimes getting like that stiff you know don't move anything because you don't want it you know can can get to be like a big issue so i mean just paying attention to even like the line of action the weight shifts and stuff like that yeah. uh make makes a big difference it's not it's not that you have to rearrange the face or anything like that it's just putting in that that weight into the into the character that will break and that's it up. one reason that beginning animators don't want to move things because we don't think want things to kind of start to float right <laughs> and look like there's no weight to them and stuff at Rhythm and Hughes, I remember there was one animator and he was like the best and they had him come talk to us, and tell us how to be better. And the one thing that he said that really stuck with me, I don't remember anything else he said, <laughs> but this one thing was so cool. He's like, when I do a golden pose and, and then my secondary poses, so your main poses and the poses that go kind of in between those for people who don't know who are listening, 
Uh, I know you know that, Pablo. But <laughs> he, he touches everything. He at least touches the control and wiggles it. So the pinky control, he at least wiggles it at some point when he's doing those, those golden poses so that he knows he's touched every control. So there's some kind of data on each of those. And then when right. you go into the polish phase, you can look and you can say, okay, that, that little pinky's floating. You can fix it, right? Fix it with giving it some better in between or whatever. Yeah, I think that's another another way to make sure that it doesn't stay, it doesn't stiffen up. Yeah, yeah, I I, I like that because I I think uh, I think people that you know sometimes in a rush and then I've I've worked as an animator on a show where you have to get certain a certain amount of footage done a week. Oh yeah, it can be grueling. <laughs> yeah, you just want to. I mean, sometimes it's like just push it through, push it through, push it through. But then at the end of the at the end of the week, if all your stuff just looks pushed through. Um, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it as, as an animator, right? No. Like, so like the pose to pose and then spline doesn't work exactly. So getting no. in there and directing the, like you were saying, like you, then you hit the breakdowns, then you hit the, the in-betweens and then the, the cushions. It's uh, really important to, even in CG, especially with, I mean, if you're creating like a new a new idea and it's all CG, it's it was born in CG. You might be able to get away with a lot more than than um, something like SpongeBob that was born in two D. In two D, yeah. And it has like a feel and style and look. Then you got to really approach it from a two D perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, as we've talked about how I worked on King Julian, and uh, as you were talking, you reminded me that. There was this tendency I noticed among animators, especially the longer you are on the show, you were much less likely to film reference. In fact, I don't really know of hardly any other animators who did reference, but I felt like video reference and shooting myself acting it out actually made me faster. And I was coming up with these ideas that I don't think I would have come up with otherwise. And that was just such an interesting thing. And it happened on Barbie too, where people just stopped filming reference. And yet, you know, those who filmed reference were obviously faster. And the person who filmed the most reference was the fastest on the team. I, I won't say who that, who that was, <laughs> but <laughs> you can guess. So anyway, <laughs> that's, that's what, what can you add to that? What, what do you think of those, those thoughts? No, I film reference for SpongeBob. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, on my computer, I have like this big folder where I have myself acting, acting stuff out for the animators. I mean, with <clears throat> with SpongeBob, uh, we want to like the boards. The storyboards are are like like the storyboard artists do all the the thought, the thinking, and stuff like that. I know, like in other shows that I've worked on, <clears throat> I'm not trying to to bash storyboard artists, but like we'll we'll watch we'll see the storyboards, and then we kind of you know as animators. We try to add our own, a little bit of ourselves in there. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, and so in that case, you know, like we look at the storyboards for the idea of the shot, and then yeah, then we would go with film reference and stuff like that, and yeah, try yeah. to bring out something from that character. Uh, for SpongeBob, it's um, it's different. Like the storyboard artists do all the the heavy lifting. Like they do, yeah. like they build the composition, and yeah. uh, the character goes here and. And it's like a beautiful, like every shot is like a piece of art and like a lot goes into the storyboards. And so we were asked as animators to, to really stick to those boards. Even then, like some of the, some of the stuff that we feel maybe here in America, because we use overseas studios that don't like in America, we maybe will like do something that we get as Americans, but overseas (laughs) it's not understood. Yeah, so, I remember you guys talked about that in the interview. Yeah, that was Yeah, so in those in those situations, uh I will try to record <laughs> record myself. Like this is how we would do it here in America or whatever. Yeah, yeah. this is 
this is the action. This is what we do. This is how you do it. This is like the timing or the spacing of it. So yeah, we do use we do use video reference, but it's not it's not to try to like come up with something new. It's to try to try to nail what's already there in the boards or, or flesh it out a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of how it was on on King Julian. It was, it was like, how do I get from these poses that the storyboard artist drew? And how do right. I take that? And I don't think that's speaking bad about storyboard artists at all. I think storyboard artists are amazing. It's not right. easy work for you to come up with this entire, the performance and what's the background, what's the camera angle and what does it all mean and how does it all come together? Yeah. Sometimes the board artists will, because they don't, they don't deal with time as, as specifically as animators do, they'll take a drawing, copy it and flip it and put a red arrow there saying like, oh, he's turning and walking, but they don't take into account the amount of time that will take to actually turn, turn and walk off screen. So in those situations, we have to like massage it a little bit to make sure well what's more important the character to get off screen or the the turn or, or something like that dump stuff like that or you know if it's not always drawn to scale but the characters in a cg world are definitely have a dimension and yeah. take up a certain amount of space we have to find a way to cheat it or or maybe redirect it a little bit to mm-hmm. make it work that's awesome that's awesome you talked about the you know, a story artist maybe not taking the amount of time or thinking about that amount of time. Have you ever seen Miyazaki's storyboard books? The Hayao Miyazaki storyboard books? Yeah. They're amazing. And when you watch him, I've seen video footage of him drawing the drawings. And he'll actually sit there with a stopwatch and he'll imagine the animation. And then he'll write down how many seconds each each bit in yeah. the margin. Each bit is going to take. It's just, he's mind-blowing. <laughs> I, I showed you the, the animatic for the musical pitch that I've been pitching. and my warm-ups for for drawing those boards were drawing for Miyazaki storyboards. So that's how I'd warm up. And I don't know if that was a mistake <laughs> or a good thing, but it was so humbling <laughs> to just draw his drawing and be like, how did he think about this? How did he come up with this exact pose and how it's com- composed and how the background's interacting? And it's so incredibly brilliant, you know? <laughs> and you know, yeah. like his storyboards are the film. Yeah. When you talk about being true to the boards. You look at his storyboards, and that's what you get in the film, and it's, yeah, it's very, just remarkable. Very detailed and very. Uh, I mean, even in his movies, like the background is animated and everything. Like you're just uh, always blown away by the level of detail he has. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're a storyboard artist listening to this, you know, maybe use a stopwatch. Maybe that's the way to <laughs> to envision how long a piece of action is going to take, so that we animators can fully embrace your vision and and, and bring it to life. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and we love you, storyboard artists. You're amazing. I, I know that we've done the work that we've tried to do the work that you do. <laughs> and uh, and you you have developed. I'm, I'm sure it just takes years to be able to get to the level that the story artists are at your your studio. So, yeah. 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 They're 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 wonderful. And I've learned so much from them. Uh, oh, I bet. You know, those you know, some, those those things I mentioned, those are like very rare, like just here and there. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's going to happen in anybody's process. Like no matter what your job is, you're going to have these little things that happen and you just have to be aware that those need to be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they, uh, I have learned a ton from just watching, just seeing their drawings, just, just looking at their drawings. I'm like, Oh yeah. You guys are amazing. So. Oh, I, I know. I know. I took the storyboard secrets course that Sherm Cohen, who was, I don't know if he's still a a SpongeBob artist. Yeah. Yeah. His, his course was amazing. And just seeing his drawings, they were just so remarkable. He's so yeah. talented. No, he's uh, him and uh, Dave Cunningham. They're the two uh, storyboard directors on the first part of the, on the first season. 
And just uh, as we present stuff, you know, in a group and we watch it all and uh, just hearing their comments and seeing what their vision of it was and stuff like that. It's uh, like, that's, that's where I learned how to do all the stuff on Camp Coral that, that I learned how to do, like was just listening to them. How to draw the characters, how to think about the process yeah. and, and all that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we've got like lists of how to do what's allowed and what's not allowed. What is SpongeBob? What, what is Squidward? What is, you know, um, yeah. and what they're not. So yeah, it's, it's really cool to see the, you know, when I was in when I was in high school, this I had one teacher, this English teacher, who she'd always say like, in order for anything to be like, uh, when whenever she wanted to say anything was like so easy, it was stupid easy. She'd always say like, "This is Mickey Mouse stuff, people. This is Mickey yeah. Mouse." Uh, implying- My dad would say that <laughs> as an electrician. He's an electrician. I was like, "Hey, Dad, how about you do this in your electrical project I was helping with?" And he's like, "Scott, it can't be Mickey Mouse." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, saying it like, uh, oh, that means like it's so easy. Like it's this, but you know, the the more you know, the more you get involved with animation. I think people go into it. A lot of people that are you know they're fans of of animation. They go mm-hmm. into it thinking like, hey, I want to work in this field. But then they hit a point where they realize there's there's so much work. There's so oh, yeah. much work to, to making Mickey Mouse look like Mickey Mouse or yeah. or SpongeBob look like SpongeBob. That, oh, yeah. A lot of people just can't do it, and so yeah. so uh, it's it's such a it's such a fun but challenging artistic process to. Oh, it's it's wonderful. We obviously love it. We we've stuck with it for years, <laughs> over ten. <laughs> so, yeah. so as we wrap up here, I I often ask the get wiser moment question, which is that if my goal in if I were directing a series or a feature film. If my goal were to get the highest quality, the highest clarity of truth into a story, what approach approach would you recommend? And I can repeat that if you need me to. <laughs> no, no, no. I uh, I think one of the things that uh, that I got uh, one of my favorite artists, you know, and he's everybody's one of every, you know favorite artists is uh, Glenn Keane. I remember oh, yeah. him. I remember him saying that he he was happy that he married um, that his wife was not in the animation industry because. Uh, like she brought she brought in real life into his world because maybe without without yeah. her without her he'd be kind of stuck in the animation world where everything is just animation and that like taking a break from that world like if if all you do is animation then all you're going to get is like repeated stuff of what of what's already been animated so a copy of a uh, copy yeah yeah going out into the real world and you know again that's why you know we study animals and we study anatomy from on humans and do life drawings and stuff like that like copying a drawing or copying a copy like you were saying it's not that's not going to get you any closer to connecting with a person uh that'll get you closer to being a fan of, of something but i remember glenn saying like if you take a break from the animation world go out and like experience the world and bring that world into into the animation world that's what mm-hmm. will connection with people. And wow. one of the things in uh, pitching prepper farms, they told me was that uh, a lot of people when they pitch don't have a sense of uh, the relationships between the characters aren't real. And they right. said that uh, my characters seemed very real. And I said, well, that's because it's my family. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's my children. And they that's said, wonderful. yeah, like you really nailed the, the relationships. Yeah. And so I think bringing in truth will mean you just have to go outside and find it and, and then live. bring that. And, yeah. And then once you've lived that, then, then you tell your story, uh, you tell or someone else's truth story that, that will actually bring that connection in to the audience. 
Yeah, and I'm gonna say something, and, and I'm not just saying this to blow smoke, right, or to blow sunshine. That is a very fantastic answer. I don't think I've ever had anyone answer in that way. Usually they'll talk about process, like focus on character or focus on, and I, and I always pay very, very close to this because this is the get wiser moment. Like this is where I'm trying to build my brand is a deep sense of truth. And yeah, and, and I like that your starting point was your wife. Your, it was Glenn Keane's wife, but I imagine that your right. wife is a, a big inspiration to you. And yeah, uh, yeah. that's actually what it like. And to I me mean, too. <laughs> not, not your wife, wife, but my wife. I don't know your wife. <laughs> <laughs> not that I was like when when I read all the stuff, I wasn't. It's not like I was like, all right, I'm only going to date people that are not in the animation industry. But uh, yeah, it, it did it did kind of influence, like you know, like not not that having a wife in the animation industry will will limit your vision, but um, yeah. yeah, again, living that life will help. Yeah, if you have to, a spouse in the animation industry, you're going to be okay. Just, you know, you can still go experience life together. It's, it's okay. Um, yeah. And I actually, yeah. I actually did. Um, I was in theater when I was in the dating phase. And I did say I wouldn't marry anybody in theater. And one sure. of my big reasons for that was balance. Okay. I wanted, I wanted a level. I wanted somebody who was very different from me and who, who I could learn from and grow with and admire and, you know, all, all that kind of thing. And I can, I can still admire some theater people, but yeah, I, I think I made a good choice. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, that, that was wonderful, Pablo. Where where can people follow you? Where can they learn more about Prepper Farms? Uh, well, I geez, I haven't really done anything with it for a while, but um, there is a Prepper Farms Facebook page, okay. uh, which I will still be, you know, eventually, hopefully, when things you'll get back to it. like balance it out a little bit better, uh, I'll yeah, still yeah. be doing it. There's a Prepper Farms Facebook page. I do have an Instagram. Uh, I'm not okay. I'm just not amazing at social media. I, me I either. Don't, I don't really. <clears throat> I try to be on it, but I I make a goal to be on it for a certain amount of time. But then I don't know what it is. I just don't. Uh, it's not. It's not my thing. But uh, I do have an Instagram, whatever you call it, uh, page or thing. Yeah, um, and the link to that is down in the show notes. So. Oh, okay. Um, if All you right. want to follow Pablo, look in the show notes of this, or we also feature this on anchor.fm. We'll distribute it to Apple podcasts and, and a bunch of other podcasting websites. So in those, in those notes, it will be in there as well. Oh, great. So, okay. yeah. So please, please look up Pablo, see his work, see how amazing he is. Um, he's been an inspiration to me since I started really. And, uh, and hopefully the feelings mutual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And until next time. Um, yeah. I hope we all get a little wiser. Okay. You have been watching the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. Audio version edited by Kiera Horowitz. Copyright Scott Weiser, LLC 2020.